The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Molly Balin. And I'm Eric Deutsch. And this is our last episode of Escape from New York Minute. Yeah, if you couldn't tell, Molly's intro there actually was a little uh, dour. I feel dour. I feel (laughs) like, I don't know, trauma just hits me later. I think I You know, it's, you know, I'm like, ooh, chipper for the funeral, but then it's two weeks later and, you know, hitting the bottle. So, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, it just really hit me. It just really hit me. This is it. This is the last time I'm, I'm going to intro this. Yeah, so, this is it. This is it. So, yeah, thank you guys for being on the journey with us. Uh, this is our last bit of credits here, technically minute 99 to 100. Uh, so, we start out here. Starts with a Charles Scorus the Third, who's a production manager, and we will end our credits with uh, the Lions Roar. Yeah, we're fudging it. There's technically seven seconds could have been minute one hundred, but we were going to do another episode for seven seconds, so we're combining. So, who do you have to call out? Well, the first one I'm going to call out is John Wash, who does the graphic displays because this guy's got a cool career uh graphic displays on terminator 2 die hard hunt for red october star wars Spaceballs, a bunch of x-files and smallville episodes nice when you find a niche and, and you can really work on some really awesome projects in your career oh my gosh like this guy has had a profound career like he was at usc which is university of southern california in los angeles uh and he did visual effects while he was still at school at USC for John Carpenter's Dark Star. Hmm. Um, After graduating, he actually worked on Star Wars. Um, George Lucas approached him, who is also a USC grad, um, and asked him to produce graphic animation, which, and this is one of the first times that uh, computer-generated imagery was used using the Scanimate analog computer to produce an animated display of the Death Star. So this guy literally worked on the Death Star. <laughs> uh, he established his own company in 1979 called Motion Graphics, and uh, that's who did the work here for Escape from New York. It produced uh, graphic animation for The Thing, Cloak and Dagger, Halloween 3, and many TV commercials. And uh, he supervised animation and computer graphics on uh, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, which is also a favorite of mine. Um, so, yeah, he's done a ton of stuff. And he also did some of the Vampire Diaries, which, should I even ask if you've seen that? No, you really <laughs> shouldn't. You've seen. No. You <laughs> it's actually, I will say, it's a WB kind of a thing, or CW, sorry. Now it's CW. You're dating uh, yourself there with the WB there. Damn, I know. I was like, woo, child of the 90s. <laughs> uh, but the first couple of seasons are some of the most well-written TV. And and we were talking a little bit, I think it was actually off mic, we were talking with Daniel last episode, but I was like, there are some things that could be argued are crappy and, and would go to the mat for it. And I would go to the mat to talk to anybody about the writing for that series. At least the first probably three seasons of that 
are just impeccable TV writing, like, like surprise shit like you would not believe. And I understand the demographics, but whatever. But it really is bloody excellent, just saying. You'll never see this because I know this is not your jam at all. You're no. not I'll, t- I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Tell Allison. It would be Allison would probably enjoy it. Maybe you okay. and Allison could get into it together. I don't all know. Right. She can like, but anyway, yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Next, I'm going to call out some of the sound guys here. We got two sound editors listed here David Udall and Warren Hamilton. Uh, David Udall is another one of our John Carpenter guys and also has a. IMDb list more than 100 movies long, so that's pretty cool. And then Warren Hamilton, another John Carpenter guy, and he's a big sound editor from the 80s and 90s movies that I grew up with watching. Gremlins, Inner Space, Beetlejuice, Alien Nation, La Bamba, Showgirls, which we've discussed before on this uh, on this podcast. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah, we kind of go into uh, just a few of the, the music credits here. And and I'm just going to call out Everyone's Going to New York, Music and Lyrics by Nick Castle, because that comes from, you know, probably my my favorite scene in the whole movie. And I, I think the Broadway scene is is just so strange and only strange in context to the rest of the movie and so surprising. But I, I yeah, uh, we, we've talked a little bit about that because of, you know, Dean Cundy's involvement and. Uh, that it, it was kind of a, a, a collective and, of course, Roger Bumpus. So um, I think it's been uh, especially a favorite to me. And I was kind of curious because I'm on topic of that for you, Eric. Going into this movie, I'm sure there were scenes that you were your favorites. And I'm just curious what those were and if you have changed your mind now that you've spent a year looking at this movie. Well, that's interesting because my oldest son actually told me that you and I should mention what our favorite scenes are for our last no. episode. And so I thought about it, and I it's hard for me to think of what my favorite scene was before we started the show, because I don't know that I necessarily had one. I, if, after doing the show, I would say the Broadway scene is up there, uh, but my two favorite scenes are probably the gladiator battle with Snake versus Oxbaker and the president blowing away the Duke and just screaming, you're the Duke of your New York, you're hey, number one. Mm. Certainly, my sister and I would quote the president blowing away the Duke all the time when we were growing up. We loved doing what he would yell at him. So I think those stand out. The Broadway show probably, maybe before this other show, I might have said the Broadway show was my favorite scene. And maybe now it's down to number three. Hmm. Why is the Ox Baker scene your favorite? I just think it's 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 well choreographed fight, but it's not too drawn out. I like, you know, there's some real dark humor in there. Snake is exhausted after the first round, and then suddenly this bat with spikes is just comes from an unforeseen hand out of camera. You know, it's just handed to him. Ox Baker is just, he's just insane looking. Uh, I, I, I like the, the, the sound effects when the, the two cl- bats with the spikes clank into each other mm-hmm. using garbage can lids as shields it's just you know <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to love yeah for sure so you mentioned family um i'm kind of curious because this is and and we had maddie to recap we had maddie his sister on earlier in the run and this was like a this had like family memories for you and i'm just really curious if you would 
sit down with like, you know, like the family you've created now and like watch it together? Like, is that something that you guys will do? And do you think you're going to wait until your kids are a little older to do that? Yeah, so we do do family movie night every once in a while. I did watch this movie with Allison a few years ago when I bought it on DVD. She has no memory of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, she she, she saw the movie like a long time ago, but she just has no memory of watching it with me a few years ago, which is kind of funny. So she said she'd have to rewatch it again before deciding whether or not to let our kids watch it. I mean, again, I've said on multiple occasions, I'm younger than my oldest son was now when I saw this for the first time. Was I too young to see it? Eh, Possibly. But again, it was the early 80s and it was a very different time. I go back and forth on whether or not I would want. I mean, my 10 year old, I don't really think I'd have a problem showing it to the seven year olds, probably a bit too young for it. Maybe it's a little too much for him. I actually looked up for this final episode. I wanted to see what You know, there's those websites that say, you know, is this movie good for kids? You know, should I take my kids to this movie? And and they give you, like, you know, the parents' point of view of rated R movies and hard PG-13 movies of whether kids should watch it or not. And I actually looked it up here for our last episode. And interestingly enough, I I went to about five or six of those sites, and only one site actually even had Escape from New York on it. I'm wondering if it's maybe too old and maybe Mm. maybe not a big enough movie to, to be mentioned commonsensemedia.org is the only one that I found it on. And the website suggests 16 years old as the age to watch it, which seems a bit old to me to wait to see this movie. And then they average also reviews to find an age. Three different parents rated it, and the average for that was 14. Six different kids reviewed it, and the average for that said the age of 15. Hmm. I'm not going to make my kids wait till 14 to see this movie. And I don't think I would have, even if I hadn't done this podcast, I still would have done it earlier than that. This is what the website says, what parents need to know. Escape from New York presents a bleak vision of the future and has violence including gunfire, crossbows, thrown knives, landmines, and gladiatorial death bouts with fists and clubs, though except for a severed head, there's little explicit gore. Do not do this at home stuff includes whiskey used as a firebomb. Swearing is at the typical (laughs) R level. The hero smokes cigarettes. There's a quick glimpse of bare breasts. An atmosphere of cynicism and darkness pervades, including a negative depiction of a U.S. president and a police state America. Wow, when you put it that way. Because I was thinking, like, it was a lot milder. (laughs) 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 Maybe I'm not the greatest judge. But, yeah, I I mean, I I don't know. Because I was like, God, I would think, like, a... 11 year old 10 11 year old maybe maybe not younger than that but i definitely think a 12 year old could totally handle this yeah absolutely and before we close the loop on this website i i must read this because it's so insane one I, i read i read all the reviews that the parents and the kids on this website made of this movie and there is one adult who wrote a review that is such a stereotypical insane internet rant that I feel, as fans of this movie, those of you who've stuck with us all the way through, I, I have to read this to you. This person's name is Andrew Haxley. This is an adult writing this. He gave the movie one star. His review, every single word is capitalized. Not, not all caps. Every word is capitalized. Hmm. Think about the effort it would take to capitalize every <laughs> single word. Okay? Just think, think about the mind that did that, right? <laughs> 
What I'm about to read here also has a lot of triple exclamation points at the end of its sentences as well. So just, just here we go. This movie has one positive message, and it's to treat our country with respect. The main reason I am reviewing the movie is because the violence here is bad. Guns, knives, and many deaths in the movie are not to be expected by young adults or teens, especially if you cannot handle such a violent sniper film. And it takes place in California Institute of the Arts, Valencia, California, USA. That is where they filmed it, but I should say it's a cool thing they did that also. (laughs) The nudity is just too much and is explicit. A man plays with his crotch. Very disturbing. And the profanity is very strong for a R-rated film. A B-word is said, and the F-word, and then the J and C and B-word is used a lot. And also the SOB is bad, too. If you have kids and they ask to see this movie, tell them that they have to be 18 or older to see this movie. You guys have a good day. Bye. (laughs) Huh. There's a lot to unpack in that message. There really is. Yeah. Because I just, I feel like Goodfellas came out like six years after this. And I, I guess that has a different standard of language and violence. You know, when I think of like, when I think of like a star, a really strong R-rated movie from the '80s, I usually think Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. You know, like this to me could be like PG-13 now. I know, I know. You know, and maybe that's just saying something about our like HBO peak TV and you know Game of Thrones era. Yeah. You know, like I know things have have escalated, but still, like even for this time period in the '80s, I feel like there's harsher stuff that came out around that time. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know. I'm also not 100% sure he was paying attention because he called it a sniper film. I, I don't recall. Am, am I missing something? Was there a minute with a sniper in it? I don't know if he's just thinking because there's a sight on his gun. Oh, okay. And that's where maybe he's coming from, but I don't recall a sniper. Then he says it takes place in the California Institute of the Arts. No, it, it was like three scenes were filmed there. It doesn't take place there. No, no, that's not. He said the nudity is just too much. There was that one scene for like two seconds. Yeah, and it's like, I think that, yes, the context of the nudity occurring is disturbing. Right. But I also think that that's an intelligent move, given what it is. You don't want to, you don't want to make that fun. (laughs) You know, we don't want to we don't want to chill that out and make that palatable. We want it right. to be brutal. You know, you should have a, a, a you should have revulsion from that. Right. So I, I would say it did its job then. He says a man plays with his crotch. I don't recall that occurring at any point. I was going to ask you that as well. I'm like, where, yeah. where was that? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's misunderstanding snake. You know, driving the glider or flying the glider. Maybe that was part of that. Oh, you know, he does make that I'm playing with myself comment. Maybe that's. Maybe so he took he, that literally. This guy inferred that he is actually playing with himself by saying it, even though you don't actually see his crotch. Right. I see. Right. Maybe that was um, what that was. It says the profanity very strong for an R-rated film. It's an R-rated film. That's it's going to have profanity. Um, I, I don't know. He even says a a B word is said and the B word is used. S O B is bad too. <laughs> uh, okay, Andrew Haxley. Mm. Uh, I, I, you will you will not be listening to our podcast, and you know what? We don't want you to anyway. It's it's okay. I'm sure I'm sure Andrew can find some like sound of music stuff to to check <laughs> out. And it'll be 
a safe place for Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm jump back into the the credits here. There's a couple more I want to call out before we end the credits. Uh, Alan Howarth, the guy who co-wrote the soundtrack with John Carpenter, is listed here as special synthesizer sound, and that's because he also works on sound effects, and he did that a lot in his career too. He didn't he didn't just write scores. He did sound effects of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Army of Darkness, a movie, of course, near and dear to our producer Brad's heart, since that's Woo! a movie that he did, <laughs> Running Man, uh, Star Trek 2 through 6, and I specifically want to call it Stargate, which well, I remember seeing it in the movie theater when it came out back in the mid-80s, and it's the first movie that I walked out of and said, wow, that movie had great sound. Really? Interesting. I love Stargate. I mean, of course, you know, another Kurt Russell jam, Kurt Russell but movie, yep, yep. yeah, I mean... I I mean, I love anything like Egyptian mythology. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an Egyptologist. So that was just like, oh my God, science, fi- science fiction Egyptology is like just the cat's meow. So good. I think that's great you saw in the theater, though. That's awesome. Yeah. Then we get to the re-recording mixers. We've got Bill Varney, Greg Landaker, and Steve Maslow. And these guys all, again, uh, long careers. These guys all won... The Oscars as a team for Best Sound for Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. Maslow and Landaker also won it Best Sound for Speed. Landaker also won it Best Sound for Dunkirk. Uh, Landaker worked on a ton of other movies. Cobra, Teen Wolf, 48 Hours, Lego Batman. He's still working. Uh, Bill Varney, he's a John Carpenter guy. He also did Animal House, Grease, Goonies. Maslow, basically all the same movies uh, as the other two. So, uh, and again, a very successful re-recording mixer sound team there. I love that there's a couple of Star Wars connections and Star Trek connections here, too. Molly, we got Titles Optics <laughs> by Pacific Title, and we have goofed on the ti- the end credits, and I already forgot why, and whatever, it's the last episode, so who even cares why, but we well, did goof on... case, and, you know, like, no yeah. way, I mean, it just feels like, you know, it's it, it doesn't feel like people, someone gave, I mean, I know someone gave a shit, but it doesn't feel like someone gave a shit, so... Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. and weren't they, like, kind of, like, shaky also or something, right? They were also shaky. Yeah, okay. Shaky so, in lowercase. Yeah, yeah. So Pacific <laughs> Title did them, and, uh, <laughs> boy, we goofed on them, but holy cow, who knew what you would, the, the rabbit hole you could go into... When you Google Pacific Title, because Pacific Title and Art Studio was founded in 1919 by Leon Schlesinger, and at first it primarily produced title cards for silent films, but then talkies came around, so Schlesinger looked for ways to capitalize on the new technology and stay in business, so they moved into general film editing and post-production work. And if anyone thinks the name Leon Schlesinger is vaguely familiar, that's because he founded Leon Schlesinger Productions, which eventually became the Warner Brothers Cartoon Studio. And he was the producer of Looney Tunes from 1930 to 1944 when they created Bugs, Bunny, Daffy Duck, and Porky Pig. That company created these horrible titles. (laughs) Wow. Well, I mean, I can see the argument being like, what the fuck are you done with your life? Like, we made made Looney Tunes. It's like, eh, cut me a break. I just, you know, I typed it up in lowercase Ariel and 12 point fuck off. Like, what have you done lately? (laughs) We're number 26,272 and the registered, uh, I don't know why that always fascinated me. I always look at that when I see a movie, the MPAA registered number. Oh, yeah. 272nd movie. 
And that leads me into box office because when we first started recording, we started recording this in February 2019. And of the however many movies movies have been made over the years, Escape from New York was the 3,061st all-time U.S. domestic grocer and number 978 among domestic R movies. So in just the 10 months that we have been recording this show, it has dropped down to 3,131st overall. That's 70 spots in only 10 months. And for all-time domestic R movie, it's been knocked out of the top 1,000. It dropped 38 spots to number 1,016. Wow. It made $25,244,700. Not bad. Nothing to sneeze at. No, no, no. <laughs> As Grandma would say. Yeah. My last note of the actual movie before we start moving into the sort of end game of the show here is we, of course, have talked about the special edition of the soundtrack as we've gone through this movie. And there is a song on the soundtrack called The Snake Shake. Oh, does- no. <laughs> you are so correct to say, oh, no, Molly. Because it does not appear in the movie. It is on the soundtrack, and it's good, I think, that it did not appear in the movie because it does not fit in this movie at all. It's basically, if you go to YouTube, you can listen to it. It's basically a very upbeat tempo of some cues from the soundtrack and some new music, and it's four minutes of repetition. And it's just, it sounds like something that would have made more sense in, like, Fletch or 48 Hours or something like that. It absolutely doesn't fit at all. And I'm wondering what they were thinking when they made it. And I'm wondering what scene the song would have been used for. I don't know if it maybe would have been a credit song. I, I, it doesn't fit at all to me in this, in this movie or in the rest of the soundtrack. Is it like one of those things where you get like a musician who's in a movie and then they do like a special kind of dumb song that's kind of related to the movie, like Will Smith doing like wild, wild West or <laughs> Eminem doing like a Deadpool song. I don't think you so. Know? I, I, I'm pretty sure it's John Carpenter. I think it was part of the score that he wrote for the movie. Yeah. I don't know that we need any snake shake boogie. <laughs> like monster mash thing that's but you know not all ideas are good ideas and right <laughs> uh well this is my last little note um in terms of credits um and i always i find it interesting when there's like a special thanks and it's actually a pretty short list so i'm going to read the list out so there's the city of st louis and yeah there was a lot of filming that happened in st louis so that makes sense city of new york again not as much filming, but, you know, <laughs> obviously about Manhattan and the you know, Liberty Island and National Guard of Missouri. And I believe that they uh, lent some of their uh, helicopters. So that makes sense. United States Army Reserve. And then these folks, I don't didn't see what what specific things were about. Uh, Mr. Wal- Walter Abel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dennis R. Foley. I'm guessing that maybe he was... Um, gave some context behind, you know, some of the military, some of the uh, United States police force stuff, uh, the Orient Express, which then I was confusing with Panda Express. And I was like, is that like a caterer <laughs> thing? They had a lot of like, you know, all Chinese food. So I'm sure that's not right. And then PT Centerville. But uh, usually there's, there's pages and pages. And this was a, a small, small tight crew. Well, that ends the end credits. And uh, that ends 
the official Movies by Minute breakdown of the movie. And I guess uh, we'll transition now into sort of our reflections on the show here. I wanted to ask you, Molly, mm-hmm. I thought of a couple of locations in the movie that I would have liked to have somehow shown up. We travel to a lot of different places. We have what's supposed to be Grand Central Station, what's supposed to be the New York Public Library. We're at the World Trade Center. So they hit a bunch of famous New York City landmarks. Mm-hmm. Uh, were there any that you would have liked to have seen in the movie? I would have liked to have seen a baseball reference. I would have liked to see uh, Yankee Stadium, but I don't know that that fits into the boundaries of what this is. I would like to see something like bigger. And and again, you know, there's there's limitations of money and whatnot. But um, you know, I, I liked that they you know tried to do you know Grand Central, but you know, I feel like you know baseball is pretty pretty American and iconic. And I think I would have liked to have seen that. How about you? I had two. I had Shea Stadium because I'm a Mets fan, and okay. Now, um, now both, <laughs> neither Shea Stadium, which doesn't exist anymore, but obviously was here at the time of the movie, or Yankee Stadium are in Manhattan, so they wouldn't have been mm. able to appear in the main part. But I think that they could have used the stadium as you know, like a staging area, you know, instead mm. of Statue of Liberty scene or you know something like that. I think that that could have worked within Manhattan. I think it would have been cool because one of the things that they say about New York City is it's a city of museums. And no. there's a lot of famous museums. And I think it would have been cool if there had been a scene inside a museum with, you know, some kind of chase action with, like, running into different galleries and, you know, sort of a, a cat and mouse kind of chase through a museum or something like that. I think that would have been pretty cool. Right. And, you know, there's Fashion District. So that might have been kind of interesting. Yeah. No. Um, and we don't we don't really get, like... Um... Central Park, really, either, here. I'm assuming that that one scene in the field when the helicopter lands, when they give him the briefcase, I'm assuming that's supposed to be Central Park. Mm, yeah. Uh, another question I wanted to ask you, you know, even though this movie is not filmed in New York City, other than the couple of shots on Statue of Liberty Island, I still consider it one of the great New York City movies. Some other ones that I consider great New York City movies are Ghostbusters, the Warriors, Taking of Pelham 123, the original mm. one I've never seen the remake, Death Wish, again, the original I've never seen the remake, and The Muppets Take Manhattan. No. Do you have any favorite New York City movies like that with, with where the city, the setting of the city really, you know, captures something? You know, I think for me, like, I really strongly associate fashion with New York, and my associations are somewhat from t- well tv and movies and they're actually yeah they're they're fashion flicks so uh sex in the city is is like new york is is a character within that so within the tv show and then within the movies and i was a big sex in the city fan when that was was a thing um the devil wears prada which is one of my favorite movies. Again, I feel like New York is is a, a really a prominent character there because again, you've got you know a younger person who you know I mean she came from a larger city, but you know New York is is like oh my god, like you're going to the jungle basically. Um, so that and then uh, Project Runway, I, they had a few seasons in in Los Angeles, but majority of it is is taking place at Parsons in New York, and and I feel like New York Fashion Week is is kind of like the if you make it all the way through, you get there. And so I feel like there's um, being able to make it, quote unquote, to live in New York and be a creative. I think that 
growing up as a creative, being able to make a living there and to live there is, is, is kind of like this, um, it's a Valhalla in a way. And so I feel like for me, that's, that's an association I have with New York. And I feel like those movies and those TV shows kind of represent that for me. Mm-hmm. That's cool. To wrap up our ongoing arcs that we kept track of throughout the movie. We had five mentions of, I heard you were dead. Uh, minute 35 by cabbie although he says uh i thought you were dead not i heard you were dead minute 42 the girl in chock full of nuts minute 49 maggie minute 63 the duke and finally minute 81 brain says it uh we ended up with nine duke eye twitches (laughs) with a high of three in minute 62 the first time he does it so he started out on a high note then we had one in minute 63, one in 66, one in 67, two in 84, and his last one in minute 85. And we had five minutes with no dialogue, and I thought that this would be higher, and they were all in the first half of the movie. Minutes 8, 15, 31, 39, and 40. Ooh, that, that must have been... I don't remember... Do you remember that, Molly? Minutes 39 and 40, we had two minutes back-to-back with no dialogue? That wasn't wow. elevators, that was it? That must have been brutal. I mean, I remember us making many comments in the first half hour or so of this movie about being like, Oh my God, we don't know each other and there's nothing going on in these <laughs> minutes. <laughs> it's like, it's like being stuck in an elevator with someone who you barely know, who you know has creative capacity and you're like, you're gonna have to make this shit work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that must yeah. have been an interesting two minutes. I have no memory of that at all. I don't, it's it was a long. I'm sure it was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> we just buried that memory. Um, <laughs> um, I was kind of curious uh, for you um, if there was anything that you felt like because you had mentioned like locations, but w- if there was anything in the movie itself, whether the production design or in the plot that you wished w- it would have had. You know, something that doesn't feel settled to you. That's a that's a good question because one of the one of the most interesting things that I learned about this movie in doing this show is I never really thought about how little information we're actually given and how little backstory we actually get, and all of these things that are throwaway lines or that are background shots that would have a whole story about them that in this day and age, we probably would get over-explained or would turn into a prequel where they'd explain everything. Mm. And we get none of that here. And I really like that. I think that it really works for this movie and it really works for this kind of movie. So as far as something that we didn't get that I would have liked to have, I honestly, I'm not, I don't know that I can think of anything. Why, do you have one? You know, I mean, I'll say and piggyback on what you're saying about some of the the minimalism of the plot, um, I think that's a huge asset. And you're right. I think that we would definitely get a lot more cheese if this was produced today. You know? And I mean, I was just, like, looking up a few things even before we, you know, like, kind of in, in prep for this episode. But, like, they had Gerard Butler, you know, at one point yeah. in time, maybe, yeah. you know, doing this. And, you know, and I don't have, I mean, I like 300. Like, I don't have anything against the dude as an actor. But I'm like, ooh, I can see what you guys were going to try and do here. And it does not feel good. You know, and there's just, in general, I'm not a big fan of remakes. You know, sometimes remakes can happen and you're like, oh, wow, you really handled that well. You know, but 
Yeah, I think the minimalism that we've seen is 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 perfect, and we did not need extra plot on it. I think if I had one, and I wouldn't even go as far as to call it a complaint, but I wish, I mean, because I just love the graphics inside of the glider so much. Like, I loved those, like, wireframe, neon-looking things. I wish there was just a smidge more Blade Runner to it. Mm. You know, just a smidge more for my flavor. But I like that it's dark and grungy and kind of gross and, you know, with, like, the people living underground. And it's just, it's sketchy. It's weird and sketchy. And I love that that's the vibe of the movie, you know? And I know that that would never happen if it was made today. Oh, I thought of something. I did think of one thing that I think. I would like for them to have included how the hell he was going to get the president out in the one-seat golf golf flyer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, how exactly was that? I don't know. I mean, were they going to... Yeah, were they just going to, like, strap him to the side of it or something? I mean, or <laughs> sit in his lap? Yeah, no, that's a really, that's totally fair. <laughs> that is totally fair. I'm kind of curious, because, you know, we were talking a little bit about, you know, a new generation being around now. What do you think is today's version of Escape from New York? Like, in terms of a cult, like, following for, like, young people? Like, what would you say would be this this version of it for this generation? Well, so that's interesting. So you consider that Escape from New York is was a cult movie for young people? I really see it as this kind of like independent masterpiece, a cult independent masterpiece that, you know, for people kind of coming up as, a, as an example of, of independent filmmaking. These two movies are, I think, are probably too successful to be considered cult movies. But I think that the two movies that... Jordan Peele has made Get Out and Us mm-hmm. are, are, are the kind of movies like this that are commenting on society and doing it in an entertaining and different and interesting way with a darkness and a horror to it, but also a humor to it. I, so I, 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 that's the first thing that pops to mind. That's a great answer. Yeah. No, I think that's a yes. Cosine. And I know this isn't now, this is an older movie because it's like 20 years old now, but um, I kind of feel like there's uh, the matrix is a lot that it owes to this movie. Well, there's certainly the dystopian aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One last thing that we used to talk about all the time. It came up as recently as yesterday's minute. Molly can't believe the following things about Eric. And <laughs> some things are discussed on the air. Some are discussed off the air. At this point, I'm not really sure which was which, but she couldn't believe I only seen one episode of Game of Thrones. She couldn't believe I'm not a big Mad Max fan. She couldn't believe I hated Dune so much as a kid I've never watched it again. And here's some of the movies that um, eventually just turned to Derek saying, Molly, why are you even asking me at this point? You know I've never seen it. The Saint, Underworld, Fifth Element, Constantine, Tombstone, Serenity, and Firefly. The Beach, One Hour Photo. And let's test your memory, Molly. In minute 67, we broke the streak. What movie did you mention that broke the streak that I actually had seen? Oh, my God. What's next? What movie was it? It was The Dark Knight. It was The Dark Knight. I was going to try to say it was Pulp Fiction, but I know that's not. I think maybe I saw Pulp Fiction in your DVD collection. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. all right. The Dark Knight. Wow. Yeah. And actually, here's, here's a little coda to that, listeners. When we were kind of being like, oh, hey, like, what's your deal? Like, early on, 
And um, we were both like, oh, we're both like Jonathan Nolan fans. Like, Eric's like, yeah, but not so much the Batman movies. <laughs> I was like, sweet Jesus, what? Big <laughs> Nolan fan, except the Batman movies, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Actually, I did have a question for you. Um, of the things that came up, because we did a ton of trivia, right, over the last year. What were the things that most surprised you that you learned about the movie? <laughs> this isn't really about the movie specifically, but something that, that just popped in my mind was Ernest Borgnine having been married very briefly to Ethel Merman. And that Ethel Merman, of course, is famous for Everything's Coming Up Roses, which is the song that was used as the basis for the Broadway show scene and him having to sit there and film that scene with a smile on his face while that song is being played of his ex-wife. Mm. I thought that was hysterical. That is hysterical. Another one that comes to mind is that they did not film the shot of Maggie being dead after being hit by the car. And because she just happened to be married to the director, they realized they needed that shot. So they went into their garage and they and they filmed that shot of her lying there all bloodied. Yeah, that's a good one as well. What stuck out for you? That Ox Baker was kind of a... <laughs> kind of a jerk like you know like he kind of beat the crap out of people and they had to tell him to stand down but when it came time to actually like deal with the bad stuff he was kind of worried and i was like really <laughs> really buddy um that and the price is right stuff the price is right thing was was really oh, magical yeah, fine yeah oh my god that was such a gem i don't know i feel like the season hubley scene you know was was kind of a was was interesting to me because of like their chemistry and that being kind of awkward and, and her being like, Oh, right. And you really have a sense that like something's going to happen and, and nothing, nothing comes of that. <laughs> but just like learning that they were married is, was interesting to me too, that that was like part of, you know, part of the vibe and that she had just had a baby recently is another kind of interesting context that they're like this young family and they're doing this weird shit like right after, you know, it's kind of awesome. You know, and the fact that he was like holding his infant son on set is kind of endearing to me too. Mm -hmm. uh, now this movie didn't get any Oscar nominations, but uh, of course in, in our movies by minute world, who cares about Oscars when you've got the Saturn awards? That's, that's indeed for us. And <laughs> this did get four. it didn't win anything, but it did get four nominations. First, of course, there was Stephen Loomis, the costumes guy who you goofed on. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> uh, but it also was nominated for best science fiction film, best director for John Carpenter, and best makeup for Ken Chase. So it did get four Saturn Award nominations. So that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And speaking of awards, I did this back in the last episode of Flash Gordon Minute, and so I'm going to do it again here, Molly. I'm going to give out some guest awards. To some Ooh, of our guests. nice. And what I, I'm going to say the same thing I said of Flash Gordon. If I, if you're actually still listening, and you're not one of the people that I'm giving an award as a guest, please don't take offense. I couldn't think of something for everybody, uh, you know. And at some point, my brain ran out of ideas. So first of all, Walt Murray gets the Serendipity Award for being randomly assigned a week that has Secret Service agents in it, and it turns out his dad was in the FBI and knew Secret Service agents who were assigned to presidents. That was completely unplanned incredible serendipity there good job yes yes uh next award chris frayne the unbridled optimism award because he postulated that if a monolith from uh, 2001 came down into manhattan prison that the prisoners would be the only people who would survive i think he's thinking very highly of the prisoners so unbridled <laughs> optimism for you there, 
Uh, next, Kathleen Mocklin, you get the Shameless Gushing Award for going on and on and on about Kurt Russell's good looks, including his stubble and his butt. <laughs> Very shameless. <laughs> stop talking about it. <laughs> well, everybody's got their flavor, so <laughs> yeah. that's off, Kathleen. <laughs> yes. Curtis Blaze, you get the Serendipity Award Part 2. You were randomly assigned a week that has a guy playing a guitar and a kazoo at the same time. And you do that very thing when you do songs with your band. Again, completely unplanned, unbelievable. Serendipity Award number two. (laughs) Niall McGowan gets the What the Hell Is He Thinking Award because he has seen Escape from L.A. more than he's seen Escape from New York. (laughs) What the hell that's about. (laughs) Serendipity Award number three. Steve Lasto, randomly assigned a week that we recorded the night before we both happened to have tickets to the Mets game the next night, and we were able to hang out at the game that very next night. Unbelievable time. Pinch Hitter Award going to three different guests. These three guests all came in with only a few days' notice when another guest canceled. That's BK on the air, Barry King, uh, Robert Black, and Philip Mataz. Thank you very much to those three guys for coming in with very short notice and helping us out. And all great episodes, too. Yeah, and all great episodes, yeah. too. Absolutely. Christopher Weedman, you get the Singular Achievement in Fandom Award for your fan website for Donald Pleasance. That is uh, truly uh, a, a labor of love. Heidi Bennett is getting the Awkward Previous Significant Other Award. <laughs> being Ollie's former co-host on Cabin Minute Cast and me feeling like a third wheel for three episodes. Just a little bit off there. Oh, no! Oh, I'm kidding! <laughs> <laughs> Zach Luna gets the Longevity Award, and I guess technically this episode is now probably already our longest episode, but Zach Luna, you get the Longevity Award. Minute 75 lasted 47 minutes and 32 seconds. That was the episode when Brain talks his way past Romero to get access to the present. Congrats, Zach, for our longest episode, not counting this one. <laughs> Molly, you and I are going to, I'm going to give an award to us. We get the uh, shortest episode award. Uh, minute three, the opening credits ending was only 18 minutes and 19 seconds. Woo! Probably, probably felt twice as long recording that. Yeah, that's that's shocking to me. Yeah. <laughs> Sean German, you get the Brother in Arms Award for properly siding with me against the foul and evil pineapples <gasps> who put pineapple on their pizza and their figurehead, Molly Balin. Oh my god, dude, we are gonna have, you know, I've had like pineapple, every time I have pineapple pizza, I think about you, <laughs> and I think about how delicious that, I had it some with pineapple and bacon on it the other bacon, day. I'm okay, I, I got no problem with bacon on pizza, that's fine. But it had the pineapple with it, and it was so delicious. I mean, uh, I understand, you have some other like biological reactions, and so you get like a, like a 18% pass, you know, but it is like, it is like. Uh, a prevalent and delicious thing. I'm just saying. I'm sorry you don't like it. I think you're missing out. <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> Anywho, continue. Yes. Uh, my sister Maddie gets the nepotism award. Obviously, <laughs> there. Pete Wright gets the redemption award because he ripped Escape from New York on his own podcast, but then he was a good guest anyway. So he. Well done. Uh, John Bampton, you get the Long Distance Award, being uh, our guest from Australia. You were the furthest away guest. And considering you were right at the end of the show, you stole it from Jack Stovold, who's in Japan. He would have had his second straight win because he won the Long Distance Award on Flash Gordon Minute. 
John Banton stepping in from Australia, and which is indeed further away from America than Japan. Yeah, we had several international guests. That's pretty oh, impressive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we did well. We had some people from uh, over in the UK also. Mm-hmm. Yep. Christopher Sabella gets the Living the Dream Award because he actually was the writer of the Escape from New York comic book. That's uh, that's a pretty cool job. Mm-hmm. And the uh, last award, Jonathan Zuffi, the A number one Escape from New York fan award for creating the replica wristwatch. Go to lifeclock1.com, use the code EFNYMINUTE, and get 20% off. And that watch is amazing, guys. Yeah, like, n- like, no shit. Like, I would not be like, woo! You know, so, I mean, we knew that before we even actually, like, got a watch but like the watch is incredible and like sidebar um at work um because i i work with uh zen priests and one of them thought it was a low jack for a dui um because of just it's like largesse which i thought was amazing and uh yeah it's it's an incredible piece of hardware so if you guys uh feel so inclined to have it it's it's badass, and when you get incoming calls, it's also badass because it like reads out like on your on your wrist. It's it's incredible. So yeah, get yourself a watch. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess we move into the thank yous, Molly. You wanna you wanna start out with some thank yous? You wanna do any thank yous first? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I I really. First of all, thanks to all of the people who participated. So all of our guests for coming on. And we had an incredibly strong and very entertaining crew of people. And I'm just to to come on uh, and do any kind of creative act with anybody who you don't really know takes an act of faith. And so we had uh, people who, you know, like Dean Cundy, um, who came on, um, who was just like incredible with his time and, you know, not knowing us at all and was willing to just take a, take a chance. And, and I think all of our guests, I'm just like incredibly grateful because that's what's made this a really successful run. And then secondarily, um, they can't come on without asking. And, um, so everybody knows, um, Eric was the guest wrangler for this show and, Good people coming on is a direct result of Eric's work, and he has looked up the right people to connect with folks who are, you know, and we obviously, like, we're, the Movies by Minute community is amazing, and we love having those folks on, and we also love to have uh, other people who are associated with the movie, and people who are just you know, interest in the movie out in the community. And so we got this amazing variety because Eric like hustled and got people in. And I'm just like super grateful for that. And I'm super grateful to Brad and, you know, without like going into Brad shit, like Brad has had an intense fucking year and Brad has been nothing but professional as a producer and shows up and records us and gets stuff out on time and has been I mean, has has totally been the technology guy for us. And it's amazing. Like, he's handled, like, 99.9% of of our editing and is is always here and been great for us. And, And to have a producer has been, like, a complete godsend. And you are all right to be jealous because it is awesome. And not just jealous that he is a producer, but it's Brad. And you will all, you should all want Brad, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh-oh. He doesn't want to be saying that. 
you should pay him, not what we did, which is not pay him. You should pay him and and be appreciative because he's he's incredible. And he's a fucking multi-creative too. The man is like an actor, he's a writer, and he is like proper theater folk. And it's it's just been a real like privilege. And working with these guys together has been a really uh, a privilege because like again, when you grab people together and you don't know them and you're gonna do this really intense project for a year. And I think they were really, I was very, very anxious for like 60% of the run and in trying to find my footing. And and they were both nothing but just like gracious and, and amazing. And, and I'm just like super grateful because this has been an incredible experience for me. So I'm just very thankful for both of these guys being just consummate professionals. And, you know, Eric has got a huge background in radio and, you know, like he's um, for you guys, like you listen, but like, he's amazingly talented. Like he is a true, like vocal genius and is got some, I mean, his research is top notch and, and his ability to just like riff on the fly has been exploited (laughs) on another podcast as well repeatedly, but, and the man can turn on a dime. It's very impressive. And, and it's been uh, a great grace to work with. So and thanks to my husband for lending me out to do this and, and me disappearing into a room for three hours and, uh, you know, like sneaking off to, to do podcasting. So thanks to him for, for lending me out for the, the creative project. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't know how to follow that. Uh, I consider myself very lucky because I've done two of these MXMs now and I have had two awesome co-hosts. And while you kind of hinted at this, you don't know quite what you're going to get when you link up with someone that you don't actually know to do one of these. I only knew you from you being our guest on Flash Gordon Minute from the three episodes you did then. And so, you know, it's like, well, she was good as a guest. You know, hopefully she's good as a co-host. You know, you don't know 100% (laughs) for sure. And you are absolutely awesome. And I really think that I I really hit the jackpot in, in... you being the co-host here. This is something that I told you about off off the air a couple of months ago, but my 10-year-old once asked me, oh, since you're the one that came up with the idea to do Escape from New York, does that mean you're, like, the boss of the show? <laughs> and so in talking in his I was like, well, I, I guess so. I mean, sure, okay. So he said, so you could, like, you could fire Molly if you wanted to. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, we're doing it for fun. I mean, I, 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 I don't really know that I could fire her. And he's like, but you you said you're the boss. You could fire her if you want to. So I was like, all right, I, I you know, I, I kind of get sucked into this conversation. So I was like, okay, yes, sure. Right. Yes. Okay. I'm the boss. Sure. If I, if I want, if I could fire her, but why the hell would I do that? Molly is awesome. Oh, you've been a, a, a great co-host. I would absolutely, if I, I'm, I'm probably never going to do another one of these. Epic <laughs> again, I've done two and I, I love it, but wow, it's a lot of work. But if I ever did, I would absolutely want to co-host with you again. And yeah, as far as Brad goes, my son's next question was, well, you could fire Brad also, couldn't you? (laughs) And I said, are you out of your mind, kid? I said, there is no Escape from New York Minute without Brad. The dude is so awesome. He handles all the technical stuff. Like Molly said, 99% of the editing deals with all kinds of technical issues he was an awesome co-host on Flash Court a Minute. He didn't want to co-host again. He offered to produce. I, I know Molly and I have made a joke of this off the air a lot. We feel bad that he probably didn't expect when he offered to produce the show the amount of effort he ended up having to put into it. And obviously, you know, we had the running gag of, you know, that he's not allowed to speak and tell him to shut up. 
that that was just all a, a, a goofy thing that we've always done. There would be no show without him. Brad is absolutely awesome. I can't say enough about him. Obviously, our guests. I know I said some of them with the awards, but just all, let me just throw all the names out there: Sam Stovall, Tierney Steele, Callahan, Walt Murray, David Forsyth, Chris Frain, Alan Sanders, Rich Drees. Kathleen Mocklin, Kevin Young, Harper Harris, Curtis Blaze, John Parker, Niall McGowan, Barry B.K. King, Steve Lasto, Brad, of course, Carol Pinchevsky, John Zabriskie, Jeff Glover, Andy Nelson, Robert Black, Heidi Bennett, Philip Mottaz, Christopher Weedman, Jack Stovold, C.S. Farrelly, Zach Luna, Sean German, Jason Stevens, Matty Deutsch, Pete Wright, Ryan Clary, Christopher Savella, Jonathan Zufi, John Bampton, Alex Thompson, Brian Campus, and Daniel Guillen. Um, we got to thank a, a, a second thanks to Alex Thompson, who I was determined to cut the movie up into the one minute slices uh, that we send around to people for them to uh, watch before the minutes. I didn't want to make Brad do it because I just knew he'd be doing so much as producing. I could not figure it out. And Alex Thompson, who at that time I did not know, um, I, I, I asked in the MXM group on help, for help on Facebook. He came on. He started chatting with me. And he spent more than a half an hour with me trying to talk me through it online to figure it out. And when I couldn't, he said, you know what? Send me the movie. I'll just do it for you. And he just did it for me. And with no expectation of anything in return either. So thank you very much, Alex, for doing that. Um, thanks to KJ Valencic, of course, for writing our theme music. Uh, once again, he, he did it just for fun. Like a lot of these MXM things, a lot of this stuff is hobbies. And he, he asked for nothing in return. He did a great job. I said, I'm looking for something that is original, but would fit in well with the main theme song and that's what he did and we basically what he said to us we didn't even change we just like we said perfect go with that um gotta thank bobby flores at growler media who once again hosted this show thanks so much for all of his help uh molly mentioned dean cundy let's also mention nicholas james and roger bumpus the three people who were very gracious with their time and came on and talked about their experiences on the movie and uh you know the thing about Alex Thompson and helping me out is, you know, I, I know a lot of our listeners are part of the Movies by Minute community, but I know we have some who aren't. And for those who aren't, I, you know, I'm going to say something that the, the listeners who are part of it already know, that the MXM community is just so awesome, and it's so welcoming, and it's so helpful, and it's so inclusive. A little more than two years ago, all I was was a member on a Facebook group because I like listening to Star Wars Minute. And that's all. And I was like, oh, there's this other Movies by Minute stuff going on. And I joined it and I got inspired by Star Wars Minute, who inspired just about all of us and, and, and inspired the genre. And I saw what other people were doing. And I said, boy, th this seems like something I'd want to do. And really, if it's something that you've enjoyed listening to and you think that you'd have fun doing it, I know that Molly and I said that, wow, it's a lot of work. And, and after doing two, I might not do it again. But all you really need is a headset to plug into your computer and some time. And if you can find someone who can handle the technical aspect, if you're not someone who can do the technical aspect, that's really all that you need. I don't think I've been gotten serious at any point during this entire show. So this is the one serious thing that, I'm, that, that I will say is that the society we're in as we record this and the country that we live in as we record this right now is, is, is pretty fucking divided. Mm -hmm. And there have been a number of guests on the show that politically we do not have the same politics and you know what it doesn't fucking matter because we're talking about movies and we're having fun and we don't care and if 
you can get people who otherwise might be screaming and yelling at each other about what's going on in the politics in this country to instead say, you know what, who gives a shit about that? We have a common interest. Let's talk about movies that have fun and just forget about all that other crap. Then that's a really good thing. And that's mm-hmm. something that's really great about the movies by Minute Community. And so I just wanted to single that specific point out that means something to me as someone who's sick of both sides of the aisle and sick of all the crap around here. Brad, by the way, feel free to lay some, you know, very special music <laughs> under this right now. Middle, you know, uh, whatever, who cares? You can bond over this stuff and you don't have to worry about the other shit. And because whatever. Find something that you agree on. Find something that there is common ground you have. And just talk about that and forget about the other crap. Mm-hmm. Well said. Hear, hear. Yeah. 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 Peace is made in these ways. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so then I guess the only thing is just some of the – I want to make sure we mention some of the resources we've used. There's the EFNYLAPage.com. That, that's a really great fan website for this movie and – Escape from L.A., which Molly and I will not be doing, I think is pretty <laughs> obvious. The name's Pliskin.webs.com. That's another cool fan site. There's the Internet Movie Plane Database, Internet Movie Firearms Database, Internet Movie Cars Database, Movie-Locations.com, of course, IMDb. And even though I haven't read it, there was tons of stuff online about the novel that we talked about as well. Let's call out Mike McQuay, who wrote that novel. And, uh, I don't know, that's, that's what I got, Molly. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> better say this, or I'm, I, I, I'm dead. Uh, yes, my family as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, it's not easy doing this with two little kids. And uh, my wife and kids are both uh, awesome, and I promised them a night out at a hibachi restaurant once this show was done. So you guys are in the hibachi dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good ask. <laughs> I don't know, you got any final thoughts? It's been an honor and a privilege, sir. Well, I guess one last time then, everyone. I'm going to still be checking the Facebook page. We can always talk about Snake Plissken and Escape from New York on the Facebook page. Brains Library occasionally will go on Twitter. I don't know. If you send <laughs> us a tweet and I don't respond, I'm not ignoring you. I just I don't go on it that often. That's NY Minute Pod. Even though this is the last episode, it is not too late to rate and review us. We can always take those. I think as of now, we have two ratings on iTunes, but they're both five stars, so that's good. And so, one last time, everyone remember, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. <laughs>